Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's Thursday night. You know what that means. It is time for the UFC Strategy Show. UFC 252. Coming up on Saturday night from the UFC Apex Heavyweight Trilogy title fight. Pete, how you feeling, bro? What is going on? Finally, this fight is here. It's happening. I'm excited. We have a great, great card to talk about. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see where you lie on some of these fights. Of course, uh, be sure to hit that thumbs up button here on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to Osmo here on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Also, hit that notification bell. Let you know when all the programs are up on Osmo.com. Of course, uh, come up here later tonight. I'll have the Early Bird Podcast, so be sure to check out that for tomorrow's MLB slate. But, uh, you know, Pete, obviously a big weekend for the UFC pay-per-view event. Obviously the the biggest heavyweight title fight uh, in UFC history. There's no question about that. And we got some big contests up on DraftKings and on FanDuel. DraftKings, they got the $1 million guaranteed contest, 200 k going in the first place. And over at FanDuel, they got the $252,000 contest. I believe it's 52000 to first place in that one so uh obviously everyone's going to be looking for that strategy of how to build the correct lineup for both of these cards and you know like obviously we're going to break down the salaries as we go on like you know i there are certain fights i think that are definitely dk fights uh i think the main event is definitely a dk fight i think it's a fight on, on dk that you have to roster um you know i don't think you you know at fanduel because of the pricing not as high on it. Um, Super draft. I would say it's a fight that you got a roster. Um, So what's kind of your thoughts is just like, you know, before we kind of start breaking down these fights of what you think about the the salaries on on all three sites. Yeah. So um, the Miocic and Cormier fight is amazing. I can't wait to see it. And you basically have uh, Miocic at 8,200 and Cormier at 8,000, both are bargains. So I, I really don't think that you can go wrong either way in that matchup. Uh, it's not like you're having somebody mispriced at all. They're both. And of course, Jason, it's the 8,200, 8,000 fight, and it's the toughest fight to call on the card. Um, you know, so many people are, are on Cormier and perhaps not giving Miocic enough, enough credit. But, uh, man, how will the smaller cage work out in this final fight of theirs? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about the main event and mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. It was when I was watching the first episode of Embedded, and I was like, "Man, I, you know, I've just been so all in on Daniel Cormier in this spot. You know, twenty-five foot cage. Even though Daniel is a guy that's always, you know, you, you look at all of his fights, he's always in his opponent's face. I mean, you think about even like the huge reach and disadvantage that he had against John Jones. He was always in John Jones's face. But you know, so I was like, okay, am I maybe not? discrediting Stipe Miocic in a way. I mean, you know, looking at some pictures, especially him on bedded, Stipe looks a little leaner heading into this one. Yeah, I think Miocic is coming in in great shape. I think he needs he needs to be in great shape because he knows that Cormier is going to bring it. It's Cormier's final fight. Cormier knows the safest route to victory is him getting back to his wrestling roots and uh, going in there and doing what he did in the second fight in periods where he implemented his wrestling. And you know, really controlled Stipe in that fight, uh, was able to not necessarily shoot a double leg on him, but shoot a single leg and then, uh, you know, work from there. And I think a single leg against a heavyweight makes a lot of sense. Like I have a heavyweight fighter and we don't shoot too many double legs because, uh, guys are so powerful and you don't want to end up underneath somebody's heavy hips. So how do you work takedowns in the heavyweight division? Well, you work on their balance and basically getting them off balance on that single leg. 
So, uh, you know, single leg trips, single leg dubs, uh, high crotches. Those are takedowns that Daniel Cormier should look to utilize in this matchup. And I think that he will do that. Um, you know, the, the smaller cage will definitely press the action. Cormier is a, a very pressure heavy fighter, gets in your face, likes to play hands a little bit and then throw shots over the top. And he was lighting Steve Miocic up in their second fight. So, the large majority of each fight was won by Daniel Cormier. It's the truth. But when Stipe was able to make adjustments, you're talking about some of the best adjustments in the business, start going to the body. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with DC's high guard, was able to really start working at that liver shot, which ultimately uh, leaded to the end and the nice finish. So I, I feel like a lot of people might be discrediting Miocic here. And this isn't a spot where I'll totally avoid one of the fighters. I think that you need to, you know, split your exposure. I'll be probably 60-40 Cormier, um, and I'm going to favor Cormier because of the smaller cage. But in times of the second fight, Stipe was actually the one pressing DC up against the cage. So uh, I don't, I don't want people to think it's automatically DC's world because it's a smaller cage. Yeah, I mean, when you think of Daniel Cormier's takedowns, he's not a guy who typically goes for a takedown for the most part in the center of the cage. A lot of them do come against the fence, so I think yeah. that's going to be an interesting thing. And yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to Stipe in the rematch where you know he realized to go with that body, a, an in-fight adjustment that he made. You know, where obviously that was a key factor. But when you go back to that second fight, the one thing that sticks out to you is that even in a loss. Daniel Cormier yeah. had 101 DraftKings points. It was it was because of landing 181 strikes. And, you know, we're typically two guys in terms of MMA DFS that stacking is something we rarely do. I do believe on DraftKings in this spot, and I would also say even on SuperDraft in a way, I, I don't think you – I don't like stacking it on FanDuel because of the pricing. But because of the 8,208,000 pricing on DraftKings, I think this is a fight that – if you are A, a Stipe Miocic backer, or B, you believe this fight is going to hit the fourth round, I think this is a fight you have to look at stacking. And I will tell you, I do have a lineup of both these guys in the same lineup. Yeah, for cash, you guys absolutely need to stack. These guys are perfect mid-range value. I would expect this bout to be close. I'm not predicting a finish in this, in this fight, Jason. I think that they're both going to come well-prepared. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth affair with somebody edging out a decision. Um, so I will be stacking in GPP as well. Um, not 100%, obviously, but I'll definitely have my lineups where I have both individuals. Uh, you know, the, the significant strike output for DC is awesome. The power advantage should be on Miocic's side, I think, with the fight-ending ability. Um, also the cardio edge for me, I think Miocic can, can really push past and dig deep. This fight is a total gut check and who wants it more. I think for, for legacy, you're going to look at Cormier rise to the occasion, to the occasion, but I don't think Miocic is going to give it up easy. So, uh, back and forth affair. I can't wait to see it. By the way, the last time Daniel Cormier went to a decision in a title fight, October 3rd, 2015, against Alexander Gustafsson. Of course, that was a title defense there at 205 pounds. Also, should note, prior to his Francis Ngannou title defense, Stipe Miocic had won four straight fights via first-round knockout, something I think to, to pay attention in terms of that. Uh, you know, Ty did ask about, is the main event a must-have at the FanDuel pricing? I say no. Yeah, I would say it's hard for me to not roster one of these guys, though, Jason. Um, yeah, totally. I, for me, just to be safe, I'll always have, you know, my share of a five-round fight. But stacking-wise, obviously, DraftKings, I don't see how stacking on Fandle would work out. That would leave you with relatively minimal okay. salary. But let, um, me, let me ask you this combination. Yep. Would you rather have, let's say, Stipe Miocic and Sean O'Malley mm -hmm. or Sean O'Malley and Jairino Rosenstruck? It's an interesting one, huh? Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough because, I mean, it's possibly one of the best, actually, actually, best main events I've seen in a while. So it's, it's literally a, a coin flip fight. We'll get into this later. I love Herbert Burns in this spot. Yeah. I feel Absolutely. very confident of Herbert Burns getting a win. 
I feel fairly confident about Sean O'Malley getting the win. So I, I think that's it, it just comes down to it and tie. I think you have to look at it just how does it fit in your roster construction. I mean, look, I, I think that whoever wins the main event, it will be a very good score on all platforms. So I think you have to look at that. But I, I think also you gotta think about if you do you think Sean O'Malley is gonna win in the first round? Do you think Herbert Burns is gonna win in the first round? If you think the answer to that question is yes. I think that's something you have to look at when you're putting your lineups together in that scenario, if you're a single lineup type player, but look, if you're a multiple lineup player, like we are, you're going to have shares all over the place. Yeah. I think um, the safe bet is to include the main event and move on. Yeah, definitely. And also I think a key thing is tomorrow's weigh-ins. Yeah. What does Daniel Cormier weigh in at? I know on Monday he mentioned that he believes he's going to weigh 240 to 242. If that's his weight, I really like that weight. If he's 250 and above, I, I do have some concerns the longer the fight goes. Yeah, I always pay attention to the weigh-ins, and uh, sometimes my picks will, will alter because of them. Some people come in looking uh, looking drained, or some people you can really tell had a rough weight cut. I will be paying close attention to this, so make sure you guys join us on Saturday for Live Before Lock for our updated rankings and information. Yeah, definitely uh, something you want to check out there. Also, uh, looking at uh, our ownership projections as we currently state here on Thursday evening, uh, we got Daniel Cormier on DraftKings, the second highest owned fighter at 45%. Yep. Uh, Stipe Miocic, 40%. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like the fact that they have Herbert Burns at 54%. I would like to, I was, I was, I'm maybe hoping that number comes down a little bit because he's like the guy that I, I look at when, People are looking at Sean O'Malley. They're looking at some of the higher options that maybe they would or Burns would slide a little bit, but I'm guessing that's not going to happen. He could be lost in the shuffle. You never know, especially how weigh-ins could alter people's uh, decision-making. Um, you know, mid-range usually gets lost, and uh, there's a couple guys that we'll get to. Yeah, uh, we got Janarobi at 41%. Oof. Oof. I don't know about that. I, yeah, that's a fight, and we'll get into that later. I think if I have any shares in that fight, it's probably going to be on the other side. Um, I don't, I just don't like the price point on that one. Uh, of course, uh, when we're talking about those projections, a uh, great way for you to get those projections by picking up a MMA weekly pass over awesomeo.com as you get access to all the great Awesomeo Plus tools and content for the upcoming MMA DFS slate with an Awesomeo Plus MMA weekly pass for $8.95. That includes full access to all of Awesomeo's leading fire projections, ownership projections, and the top fighters tool. There's never been a better time for MMA DFS, so step in the octagon today. And speaking of projections, a free projection that is up right now over on the Instagram account and Facebook. That will be for Sean O'Malley, as we will provide free Osmo Plus player projections for NBA, MLB, PJ, MMA, and more on our Instagram page, which is at Osmo underscore com, and our Facebook page daily. So make sure to give them a follow, as I mentioned. This week's MMA free fighter projection is Sean O'Malley. And speaking of Sean O'Malley, he's in the co-main event. I, I like how they put Sean O'Malley in this spot. I think it shows the UFC knowing they have a star in Sean O'Malley taking on Marlon Vera. Uh, you know, when you think of, of Marlon Vera, sometimes he can be a slow starter. When you think of Sean O'Malley, uh, precision, accuracy. And, and I think when you go back to Eddie Wineland fight, how he just, how he set up that fight ending sequence with his feints. Yeah. So Sean O'Malley has some of the best feints and fakes in the business, little subtle, subtle movements to get a reaction out of his opponent. And then he capitalizes on an opening. You saw that where uh, Eddie Wineland reached to parry the uppercut. And then he followed that, that faint up with a right cross. It was absolutely picture perfect. It was beautiful. Sean O'Malley has so many tools in the toolbox. Whereas Marlon Bear is a very basic fighter, but a very tough one. And this is a very tough test for Sean O'Malley. Definitely his hardest fight yet, but I think it's, it's at a proper time, Jason. Um, He's he's either going to blow through Marlon Barra or it's going to be a learning experience, and he's only going to grow and get better because of this fight. Um, you think of Marlon Barra, slow starter, like you mentioned, takes a ton of shots, ton of damage, but keeps on going. Uh, he's really, really tough and durable, and ultimately finds a way to win inside the octagon. So he can face a lot of adversity, and usually he can overcome it. the The question is, how raw is Sean O'Malley? Is Sean O'Malley still raw enough where he can get exposed via grappling? 
I'm going to say no, because I know Sean O'Malley has been doing some grappling tournaments, uh, a submission winner. We're talking to Origomi actually had a grappling match against Hector Lombard. Crazy enough. That's insane to me because they're not even in the same weight class, but, uh, he, the guy's been in the offseason since, since he uh, suffered the big bad ankle uh, break from the Andre Sukumtop fight, has really been developing his game so he can be a complete mixed martial artist. So I know that he's dedicated to his craft, and literally he eats, sleeps, and breathes mixed martial arts, and I love that about him. Marlon Vera is starting to come into his own at 27. I mean, when, when you think about Marlon Vera, I don't know why, Jason. I just assume he was like mid-30s. I feel like this guy's been around for a while and he's uh, taking a ton of damage in his fights, but has also delivered some incredible stoppages as well. You have uh, Sean O'Malley, 75% finish rate, Marlon Vera, 87% finish rate. I am super excited in this bout. I think Sean O'Malley at 9,200, you know, it's a warranted price tag based on his previous uh, performances, but does he do the unthinkable and finish Marlon Vera? Marlon Vera has not been finished. Uh, I don't know, Jason. I don't know, but I think O'Malley gets it done. Yeah, Sean O'Malley has won back-to-back fights via first round, a knockout. Vera, you know, he's coming off that loss against uh, Song Yudong, a very close uh, decision loss. Uh, people would definitely argue that Marlon potentially won that fight prior to that. Yep. He had won five in a row, and you know, someone had mentioned it in the YouTube chat about whether you know O'Malley and Miocic are a little overpriced on FanDuel. So Sean O'Malley's at $21, Stipe Miocic, is at 20. And I think we can kind of incorporate DraftKings into this for Sean O'Malley at 9,200. Do you feel that for him to cash in on that price on both sites, that he's got to get the first round victory? And, and, and more to that point of, are you willing to pay that price if you think he wins by decision? Yeah. So I don't know if uh, Sean O'Malley needs to get a first round finish over Marlon Vera, because I think a finish over Marlon Vera is going to be hard to come by. I think O'Malley has enough volume to justify the salary at 9,200. We're not talking about a guy that's near 10K like a Chamayev and what happens if he doesn't get the, the early finish. Um, he throws 6.86 strikes per minute. And if you look over Marlon Barra, Marlon Barra has a negative ratio of throwing three strikes a minute and absorbing four. So he definitely takes a ton of damage. So maybe Sean O'Malley is able to light him up like a Christmas tree here and to get a decision win. Um, if he gets a if he gets a finish over Marlon Barra, there's no doubt about it, no question. This kid is the real deal. He's really going to be tested in here, Jason. I'll have plenty of shares of O'Malley at 9,200. You're talking about a great spot, but Marlon Barra could easily pull the upset here at 7K if if O'Malley's more hype than actual um, you know actual talent. We know, I mean, we we know the talent's there, but maybe he's just not ready for something like this. So. 7K option. He's definitely a GPP play, uh, but it's O'Malley for me. Uh, Ricardo says, if O'Malley doesn't win by knockout, I don't see him scoring over 90 to 100 points. I would say that's fair. Um, that's that's guessing he doesn't land any takedowns, which why would he want to take down Marlon Barrow? But things can get tricky in there, Jason, and sometimes you just go on instinct. Uh, that's also not taking into account any knockdowns he could potentially have, any reversals, any advances. So I think 90 is a, is a safe score for O'Malley. I just don't know if he will be one of the highest scores on the slate. So there's six fighters yeah. on this card that are 7.5K and under on DraftKings. And I truly believe that, I mean, obviously when you're looking at that under 8K range, you know, I'm looking for two or three fighters, you know, when, when I'm trying to build that lineup. If I'm ranking them one through six, Vera's my number five. Yeah, I would agree. He, he's at the back end of my of my punt play rankings, but I think he's in the consideration because of what we've seen from him. And it's not like he's some, like, beaten down veteran who's – you know, 35 years old, 40 years old, he's 27. And I really can't wrap my head around that. Um, I just don't think he's ever faced somebody with the speed, timing, accuracy, uh, hands, legs, knees, spinning techniques, and explosiveness that Sean O'Malley brings to the table. 
you know, and I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, Vera t- does tend to be a slow starter, you know, yeah. and so, but I, I, I do got to think that Team Oyama team and, and Cheeto Vera here, I, I do believe they have to be thinking, let's get this fight into the second round. Let's get this fight into the third round. Let's see what Sean O'Malley is like, you know, obviously, because this is a step up in competition for Sean O'Malley. If Sean wins on Saturday night, I think you're going to see him in a pretty notable fight. Yeah, 100%. I, I think he'll be a main event going forward if he wins this fight. Um, you know, I somebody mentioned, and you mentioned earlier, that maybe Miocic and O'Malley are priced up too much on FanDuel, and I would say that they're fairly priced. And the reason being is their opponents are most likely going to look to take them to the mat. Mm-hmm. So the FanDuel scoring is a little inflated based on defendant takedowns and um, defendants and like all the defensive – grappling scenarios that could really rack up O'Malley and Miocic's score over on FanDuel. So that's something to consider. Yeah. Looking at, uh, so ownership we've got on, uh, DraftKings, we've got Sean O'Malley at 41% over on FanDuel. We have him a 41% and 11% as the MVP. Um, you know, obviously I, cause it, as you were kind of talking, that I was thinking about, if you're a multiple lineup player, I got to be thinking, you know, part of your roster construction is going to be to not maybe put Sean O'Malley in a lineup, thinking that his ownership may be high because, you know, like when we're looking at the, the big contests on, on DK and FanDuel, you know, how are we, how are we becoming contrarian? How can we come up with that unique lineup? And, you know, if, if O'Malley doesn't get the knockout in the first round, is he optimal? It's tough to say because you don't understand, you don't know how the fight's going to go. I would imagine if he doesn't get the knockout or the finish within the first two rounds, he's most likely not optimal. Um, but on Fandle, Fandle favors strikers, and he's in a perfect spot over there at twenty one dollars. I mean, you have to pay up for him, but I think it's a, I think it's for good reason. Uh, Ricardo says if, uh, he wins by knockout, I think O'Malley is fire of the year. No question. Uh, no, uh, right now my fire of the year is Gilbert Burns. Um, he's up there though. O'Malley, uh, O'Malley, if he goes out there and does this, I mean, we still have a long time before the end of the year. If he gets, he, if he would get a top five win at, towards the end of the year. Okay. Then he's going to consider it. But right now it's Gilbert Burns. Okay. Go. Okay. That's a different conversation, but yes, he beat up a wash Tyron Woodley, but he had he did look incredible. Uh, two incredible performances. I mean, yeah. you know, um, Ricardo says uh, I would want to pivot to Maraba eighty seven hundred on DK or eighteen on Fanduel, um, and then Dave says um, he goes mass multi entry. Yeah, he's saying you should have at least one or two lines without O'Malley. Um, Gabe says O'Malley ain't fought at nobody. I don't disagree with that, he, but this is, it's a natural progression. He's and look, I think that he wins on Saturday. He, he's going to get uh, another top five uh, fighter there. Uh, then we got the heavyweight matchup. When we get down here, we got uh, Junior Dos Santos and Jairzino Rosenstruck. Of course, uh, last time we saw Rosenstruck did not go well for him getting knocked out in 20 seconds. Uh, JDS has lost back-to-back fights, both via uh, TKO slash KO against Curtis Blades and France and Ganu. Uh, Rosenstruck, eight of his 11 pro fights have ended in the first round for JDS. Five of his seven losses have come by TKO and KO. I think this is a fight that, uh, in terms of DFS, you got to look at it. Um, you know, I, good chance we could get a knockout on, on either side of it. I think the question is, is, um, do you see value in JDS here? I think JDS will be a very common, uh, punt play at 7,800. And, you know, I, I can understand it to a point because he's a former champion, was on such a roll before ultimately suffering the defeat against Cain Velasquez and a very bad defeat from Cain Velasquez. Um, since that point, we have seen JDS somewhat exposed and his defensive problems have really started to shine through, especially of late, and has suffered a lot of TKO and KO losses in his career. This is a very, very pivotal fight for DFS. And Rosenstruck is coming off of a very recent knockout loss to Francis Ngannou. We called that one. Uh, We knew that was going to happen. But, um, you know, I think that Rosenstruck is more limited as far as striking and overall MMA game. 
but I still think that he's so dangerous and can take advantage of Junior Dos Santos's mistakes. Um, you know, I know that people will be searching for Dos Santos and hoping that he goes for takedowns and everything. He averages 0.3 takedowns per 15 minutes. So unless he goes out there and really, really just tries to go for the takedown, I don't really see that being an avenue for him. Obviously, if he gets into the mat, he should have an advantage there. I mean, he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. If you look at his social media, he has been looking like he's in incredible shape. I am wondering how much that will translate into the fight. But for me, it's Rosenstruck at 8,400. I think he catches JDS on the chin at some point in some exchange. And uh, I, I just think at 8,400, you're getting a nice bargain here against a guy who suffered multiple KO losses. You know, Lee says you got to have this fight. I agree. I think you got to have this fight on all three platforms. Yeah, I, I think it's so reasonably priced. Avoiding this, talk about heavyweight fight, both guys coming off and of knockout losses. The one thing I could possibly, I see, I can't even think about it. I was going to say that they come out a little gun shy and not, you know, not wanting to get caught, but you are in the smaller cage, which is going to force the action. So I don't foresee that happening. I think uh, JDS will carry some heavy ownership as a $7,800 punt. I'll have some exposure to him, but for me, as far as picks wise, it's Rosenstruck at 8,400. Of course, be sure to hit that thumbs up button here on YouTube. It's a great way to show your support for myself and Pete and, and all the great people here have at awesomeo.com. Uh moving on, we got Herbert Burns and Daniel Pineda. Uh Daniel Pineda back in the UFC. Uh of course he had those uh his last two fights, a fight on the same night at PFL eight, uh were alt were initially wins for him, but were overturned after the fact because he failed his drug test for elevated uh T E rush uh ratio testosterone to epi testosterone so he is unbeaten in his last six fights 4-0 second fight second stint in the ufc his first stint uh he was three and four his last fight in the ufc was back in 2014 of course uh herbert burns the burns brothers have been kind of the story of the ufc here in 2020 both of his uh ufc wins have come by knockout in the first round against nate landwehr and evan dunham he's won five in a row all by stoppage and the last four have come in the opening round. There's so much to like here with Herbert Burns. Um, uh, he, he's he's going to be a staple in a majority of my lineups. Yeah, so Herbert Burns is your boy. Uh, you know, Sanford MMA, Hard Knocks 365, whatever gym it is of the week with Sanford Henry Hooft. That is, that is the bought and paid for name, brother. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever it is, um, Henry Hoof's team is on a roll and they're looking really great uh, down in Florida. Greg Jones wrestling, really good overall team. Um, you know, the Burns brothers are on fire. Burns has some of the best jujitsu in the lower weight classes. And I think that you're starting to really see that the Evan Dunham performance was so beautiful. You know, it, it was against a, a washed veteran that I thought it had a chance in that fight in some moments, but um, Burns against Pineda. Pineda has a hundred percent finish rate, Jason. So Pineda has 26 victories with a hundred percent finish rate. That is insane. You don't really see that. Obviously it's not against high level competition, that, but I was going to point that out. If you look at his record, yeah. Is Leonard Garcia, his best win? Probably close. Yeah, it's probably close. Uh, you know, but you could say the same thing for Herbert Burns. Herbert Burns really hasn't fought too many tough opponents yet. So He's uh, he has 13 fights going up against a guy that basically has 40 fights. So 40 fights is 40 fights. I don't care who you're fighting. And uh, that's a ton of experience. Pineda generally wins his fight to be a submission. He's not going to submit Herbert Burns here. That's not going to happen. But what that submission ability can lead to is uh, is a better submission defense than you would actually think. Um, Pineda has been subbed several times in his career. He does have 13 losses. So Burns, if anybody can submit Pineda, but it's not like Pineda some some scrub on the mat. I think that Burns is in a very nice spot. Eighty nine hundred could be you know lost in the shuffle here. Uh, average one hundred and four and a half DraftKings points. Not the best striking ratios yet, but he good does have good Muay Thai. Two and a half strikes output to three point six strikes absorbed. But for me, like you said, I like Burns here a lot, quite a bit at eighty nine hundred. 
By the way, the over one and a half rounds in this is plus 120, under one and a half rounds, minus 140. Uh, Burns to win by submission is minus 125. Burns by TKO KO plus 650. Uh, Pierre is going to pull off the upset here. Uh, he is plus 420 to win by TKO KO. Uh, Pineda to win by submission plus 1750. But like as Pete said, I think that's pretty unlikely. What's uh What's Burns be a decision? Burns via decision is because I actually think that might that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, plus five seventy nine. I I would play that line. I like that line. Um, you know Burns has great takedowns, averaging four per fifteen minutes, hundred percent takedown accuracy, hundred percent takedown defense. His submission attempts per fifteen minutes. Are, is almost seven, which is, you know, insane. Obviously, it's a limited sample size. He had two quick finishes, so the, the numbers are a little skewed, but the potential for Burns at 8,900 is huge. Yeah, I, I like Burns on, on um, FanDuel as well. Super yeah. Draft, one times, eh, not, not as big on that one, but definitely love him on, on DraftKings and on FanDuel. You know, I mentioned about their six fighters under, uh, you know, 7.5K uh, and under on DraftKings. Uh, Pineda would be who had ranked number six. I'd agree with that. I, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that he comes through with the W, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Uh, maybe his 40 fights show through and he's able to avoid some bad situations, wind up on top because birds will be hunting submissions and getting a little too comfortable off of his back potentially losing us, you know, a decision, but I just don't see it. Uh, then we got uh, John Dotson take on Marab Davishvili. Uh, obviously Marab, the, the favorite in this one, uh, another step up in competition. And uh, before uh, we started tonight's show, I was listening to the Anna Florian podcast and Ray Longo was on and he's on that podcast every week. And of course we all know he's a, the coach of uh, Marab. And one of the things I found the most interesting, he talked about this is going to be the biggest challenge of Marab's career. But the one thing that stuck out to me, he must say it three or four times is you can't, you know, he's, you can't out reach for something that's not there. Overextend yourself. He says, that's where John Dotson has shown the ability to, to turn fights around when they're not going his way. Yeah. So when, whenever you're facing a talented counter striker, and I would classify Dotson as that, if you overextend or you overcommit on any strike, you're going to pay the price, especially with somebody who's very, very elusive, quick on his feet, has great footwork, has a big, big left hand. Um, this is Marab's toughest challenge yet. It really is. Uh, I think this is a very tricky matchup. And you guys know that I love Marab and his takedown potential and bringing people to takedown city. But I think you're going to see him have to overcome some adversity here and, uh, Struggle with getting close to Dodson. I know it's a smaller cage, but when I tell you that Dodson, I trained out in New Mexico. I watched him train plenty of times. He's one of the most explosive, young, uh, lighter weight class guys out there. He can get back to his feet really well. Has decent takedown defense, but it's his explosiveness, his elusiveness, and his speed that really gets him the Ws. Um, I would not underestimate Dodson. Dodson, as far as a GPP pick at 7,500. He's one of my favorites actually to pull the upset and crack uh, Marab Dalashvili. I'll have to tell you, and I know it's tough to compare fighters, but if you look back at last week's Chris Weidman, ultimately got the job done. He really struggled defensively striking. And uh, you can kind of see some struggles of Dalashvili defensively as well mm -hmm. um, when, when, it, when it's standing up. And I think a guy with so much experience and John Dodson, who has fought everybody, 10 and 6 in the UFC, fought Demetrius Johnson twice. I think you could see somebody as skilled as Dodson pick him apart on the feet. Um, it could be a closer fight than uh, most people are expecting. Yeah, when you look at John Dodson in terms of takedown defense, so he was taken down one time by Nathaniel Wood, uh, two times by Peter Yan, one time by Pedro Munoz, one time by Marlon uh, Moraes. Uh, four times in his second fight against Demetrius Johnson, five times in his first fight uh, against DJ. Uh, you know, so obviously that's going to be the key. I, I feel like Pete, we need to come up with a takedown city shirt for the show. I would love it. I think I think it would be great. Um, you know, 
let's talk about Dodson, right? I want people to really understand and respect who John Dodson is. He is the spoiler of all spoilers. Um, on the Ultimate Fighter, he went in there and spoiled TJ Dillashaw. Mm-hmm. TJ Dillashaw looked like, you know, he looked incredible. And obviously went on to become the champion and was dominating everybody. He knocked out TJ Dillashaw. And uh, you could say that's an early stoppage, but he clipped him and hurt him and dropped him, got the victory over him. Same thing in the Nathaniel Wood. You're looking at a prospect, and they, they throw a prospect up against the, the tough John Dodson. And uh, we're real. I'm really high on Nathaniel Wood, and he goes out there and upsets that prospect. So this is kind of what John Dodson does, and he thrives in these moments. Um, I think Dallas Bealy is a very safe play, like for score-wise, because if he does win, his takedown potential is through the roof, and he is priced fairly at 8,700. So for me, he's a cash play. Um, but Dodson is definitely in. I'll have my shares of John Dodson at seventy five hundred. He's in my pool for uh, long shots. Yeah, you know, Lee had mentioned about how Marab was, uh, you know, the the key, the MVP on on Fanduel for his last fight. Thirteen takedowns. Obviously, that's going to be the key of being able to take a fight to the ground. Uh, notice the so the over two and a half rounds. Any prediction of what you think the over two and a half rounds is? Um, minus three hundred. Close minus three thirty five. Of course, because we should note that Marab has won four in a row, all of those via decision. Of course, John Dodson, he's been up and down four and four in his last eight fights. He is coming off that win against uh, Nathaniel Wood, a TKO win for him. So definitely something to pay attention to there. Then uh, we got Jim Miller versus Vince Bichelle. Uh Jim Miller, three and one in his last four fights. Uh, his last three wins all have come by first round stoppage. It's the fir- first fight for Vince Bichelle in one year uh, coming off that decision win against Roosevelt Roberts. Of course, both these fighters coming off wins against Roosevelt Roberts and Vince Bichelle is five in one in his last six. Uh, you know, look, I think if you're a, a Jim Miller backer here, it's a GPP fight all the way, um, you know, because if he's got to me, if he's going to win, it's going to come in the first round. Um, I'm more on the Vince Bichelle side of things. I think that he'll be able to keep the fight on the feet, make this a stand-up fight. Um, you know, now I think the only question is, is can he score enough decision wise to, to put yourself in a good position to be optimal? I think Jim Miller needs to take the fight to the mat and that's where he he will really excel and, uh, have a, have an advantage over Vince Bichelle. Um, the problem with that is Jim Miller usually only shoots 1.6 takedowns per fit or lands 1.6 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is not the best numbers. Um, he's okay with going to his back. But I think standing up at this point in his career could be detrimental. And against a guy who hits really, really hard in Vince Pichel, I think uh, Pichel at 7,900 is in consideration for my long shot pool. I think that uh, I like him more than Jim Miller in this spot because I just see Jim Miller as a submission only type of, of guy winning in this spot. Whereas Vince Pichel, I can see defending takedowns and uh, punishing Jim Miller on the feet, either getting a TKO or a decision win here. Um, the problem would be, obviously, if Vince Pichel was taken down and submitted like how Gregor Gillespie did. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Ricardo says, he goes, I love Pichel, but I feel his strength is going to be his takedowns, and that plays right into Jim Miller's BJJ strength. Yeah, I, I would I would imagine that Vince Pichel is just going to eliminate takedowns from his game plan this fight because it's a great point, Ricardo. If he does go to the takedown well because you're just in the fight and you're doing what you're used to and what you're good at. Um, you could end up how Roosevelt Roberts was armbarred off of his back. Uh, I think that Vince Pichel doesn't have the best takedown defense as far as numbers wise, but that could largely be due to that horrible fight against uh, Rustam Kabalov a while back where he's taken down, I think like 12 times or something crazy. He has a 22% takedown defense, which is absolutely horrible. But I think the numbers are a little skewed. Um, Jim Miller talked about in an interview how the older he gets, he did notice that he his cardio just isn't the same, and he needs to get up, you know, on the right track early, and you know, get the ball rolling early in the fight. And I think that's what you always mention about Jim Miller is that's why the round one prop on him is so interesting all the time mm-hmm. because you know he needs to go out there and establish dominance and get. Uh, you know, get the fight in his favor early on so that he can have that momentum, momentum to carry him in throughout the rest of the fight. But 
for me, I like Vince Pichella at 7,900. I think the value is pretty nice. Yeah, that prop, uh, Jim Miller to win in the first round, plus 475, by the way. The over two and a half rounds, minus 140. Under two and a half rounds is plus 120. Then we got a female matchup, uh, the return of Felice Herrig. Uh, of course, she's been gone since the end of 2018, uh, coming back from knee surgery. She takes on the former Invicta Strawweight champion, Verna Janarobi. Uh, Janarobi, a, a big betting favorite uh, in this one. You got to pay up for her whether we're talking about on DraftKings and or FanDuel. But uh, I guess I should mention uh, the over two and a half rounds prop bet. Minus 245. I thought it'd be a lot more than that. So I think that they're starting. Oh, I, th- to- oh, I would be surprised if that by the time we get to fight night, that that's not a minus 330-ish. Yeah, I was going to say, because if it starts going the other way, I think – a lot of money will be coming on Jenny Jenna Roba by uh, submission. Um, we did see Felice Harry get armored by uh, Rana Marcos early on, but outside of that, it's been pretty durable. Five and three in the UFC, coming off of massive reconstruction surgery to her knee. Um, how does she respond, especially the layoff, and uh, how does her leg hold up in this bout? You don't know. It's a lot to overcome for Felice Harrig, but Felice Harrig is a staple and really has faced a lot of tough uh, competitors within that division. Um, but you can also think back of when she was somewhat dominated by Paige Van Zant, And I do think that Janet Roba is a lot better than her. Um, and I feel like Janet Roba starting to come into her own a little bit. Did drop a fight to Carla Esparza in her debut. Talk about a tough debut. But she did take down Carla Esparza three times. So, Let's think about that. Carla Spars is really, really good at taking people down and has great wrestling. And Jenny Rubb was able to, to land three takedowns. She landed three in a previous fight against Mallory Martin. So as strong as Felice Herrig is, I actually don't mind Jenny Rubb at 9,000. Um, the, the one issue would be, does she get a finish? Does have an 80% finish rate, but typically in female MMA, it tends to go to the decision more than not. Glad you bring up Carla Sparza. Who's one of Fleece Herrick's best friends? Yeah, that's yeah. So I'm sure there has been plenty of conversations between the two of them about what Carla's game plan was in that. Of course, you know, you mentioned about Fleece Herrick, that arm bar loss she had on the ultimate fighter. Technically, that does not count towards her official record. So all of her losses are, are uh, on her pro official pro record have come by decision. She's had 22 pro fights, Pete. 17 have gone the distance. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, so initially, I saw the salaries, and I was like, oh, Felice Herrick, 70, 70, whatever she is, 7,200. I was like, oh, okay, that's I can get behind that a little bit. Then I start looking and diving deeper, and I'm like, man, think about some of her losses. Paige Van Zandt, Carolina Kovacavich, Michelle Watterson, I'll give her the pass on that because Michelle is very talented. But Carolina Kovacavich didn't really amount to much in the UFC. Um, and if you look at her UFC record, she hasn't really fought the best competition. Um, let's go down the list. Michelle Watterson, Carolina Kovacavich, Courtney Casey, Justine Kish, Alexa Grasso, Kaylin Curran, Paige Van Zandt, Lisa Ellis. So I think the the champ and Janet Roba, could definitely be prepared and ready for this spot. Just needs to be sharp for one moment, scramble behind and submit um, Felice Herrick. And I think that the layoff will show. Jana Roba doesn't look the best on film. I- I'll tell you that. She really doesn't. But I definitely can see her being a part of my player pool, and I don't mind her. The year plus layoff is very yeah. concerning to me. Coming back from, from surgery, knee surgery, how does she look? Uh, by the way, looking at the prop bets on Felice Herrig, Felice Herrig by TKO KO plus 1415. Yeah, it should be that high, Jason. That's insane. Herrig by submission plus 2100. Yeah, plus 5000 is what it should be. That's not happening. <laughs> uh, but I mean, Herrig by decision plus 350. Yeah, so that's a little bit more logical. If you're going to play Herrig at all, you play that Herrig decision line. Um, that I, is so disrespectful. That plus three fit. That's insane. That's for a girl. I, I that's understand far, that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't chase the, I wouldn't chase the money. I would just play it to take the plus two sixty. 
just in case she somehow does get the stoppage. So her straight up is plus 260? Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Because when you think you know how a fight's going to go, anything can happen. And the worst thing that could happen is you be on the wrong result of the fight, but you pick that fighter. Uh, Ricardo and Ricardo, man, I appreciate all, all the comments you've left here uh, tonight. He said that the uh, two year layoff is concerning for Herrick. So, I mean, it's about a year and a half, 18 months, something like that. Um, he goes, but Jana Roby doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence in this fight. Yeah. And I think it's because she hasn't really been able to show too much of her skills in the UFC. How does she stack up with some of the elite in the division? I would not say that Herrick is anywhere near that, but Herrick at one time was highly regarded and was basically placed in the ultimate fighter in hopes of her winning the whole show. And it didn't happen. In my opinion, that's why she was on the show because she was a big name at the time, but it didn't happen. Um, and I do like Jane Roba, despite maybe this is a nice little spot where you can uh, gain some leverage on the field where people are seeing the same thing on Jane Roba. They're, they're saying, man, the tape doesn't look good. And I don't really want to back her at nine K. Maybe you can get her at a, at a decent ownership percentage. Of course, Pete, you know, uh, football season is here, and we here at Osmo are excited to bring you our inaugural season-long fantasy football and best ball draft kit using the same tools that have helped make Alex Osmo Baker the number one daily fantasy sports player. We've compiled a, compiled a package that will revolutionize the way you prepare for fantasy football drafts. For only $29.95, our draft kit includes everything you need to prep, including rankings, projections, sleeper tools, loads of content from our experts, and the draft wingman, which will update team projections in real time based on who you've already drafted. And as an added bonus, new members of the FFPC, your home for pay-for-play season-long fantasy football leagues and contests, get a $35 credit when you sign up for an awesome draft kit, which basically makes it free. Don't miss this one. Dominate your fantasy and best ball leagues today. Uh, next up, we got a matchup, uh, TJ Brown and Danny Chavez. Of course, last time we saw TJ Brown, uh, that uh, submission loss to Jordan Griffin, Back in February, he's only gone to decision twice in his career, has 13 stoppage wins, six stoppage wins by losses. Chavez has gone to the distance nine of his 13 pro fights. However, he has won three in a row, all by first round uh, TKO KO, coming off a win on July 18th here in the Tampa Bay area against Dylan Kala. And uh, should note, prior to these three wins, he had not won a fight by stoppage. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Jason, because uh, I think if you do a quick glance at his record, you'll see, oh, knockout, knockout, knockout. But you need to look back and, and see the the consistent decision machine that he somewhat is. Uh, only has a 30% finish rate. You mentioned that. Brown comes in in a 93% finish rate uh, with 14 wins, but does have seven defeats. And when he loses, he does get finished. So this is a fight that I will have plenty of uh, shares I think that Chavez isn't a horrible long shot at 7,400 because uh, he does have knockout potential, does throw good low kicks, does have crisp boxing. But uh, in his past, the reason he's lost fights is because of his takedown deficiencies of getting taken down and not being able to get back to his feet. I know uh, that he's worked hard on his takedown defense uh, to try to improve that area. But uh, TJ Brown actually fought a, a couple of people that I'm pretty familiar with in the New England scene. And um, they have really good takedown defense and really good ground game. And TJ Brown was taking them down quite a bit and with some unorthodox techniques as well. So it's not like he's just shooting double legs on him. It's almost like he somewhat does an Iminari role where, uh, you know, a jiu-jitsu practitioner's role for leg locks. But he did so and came out the back door and, and kind of got it got like a double leg. But it was a almost a fireman's. It's a very unorthodox technique, but he did. It was very nice. Uh, TJ Brown at 8,800, not a lock by any means based on how he is when he loses, but this could be the takedown city guy that you're looking to be a part of your lineup. Whereas people are going to go towards Marab, who's in a very tough matchup. Brown's in a tough matchup, but is going against a guy that has really struggled to defend takedowns. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something to think about there. Um, someone's FaceTiming me, so I had to, had to hit the old, <laughs> the old uh, can't, can't talk to you, can't talk to you. Um, this could be a fight that may be the fight you that 
either side will be optimal because the ownership is probably going to be, and we, we've got, you know, TJ Brown, 28% and Chavez at 21%. This may be the fight in terms of when you're looking at who needs to be a part of your lineup to come in in those big contests. This may be a fight that has to be in your lineup. Yeah. I, I, it was tough to uh, find the most footage on Chavez, but I know TJ Brown uh, pretty well and like footage wise, I, I watch a lot of his tape and I like what I see. The guy has good, good striking, um, good takedowns. The unknown factor for Chavez could work in his favor a little bit where Brown wasn't able to study him so much because of the lack of film. That's always a, a slight advantage to the guy that's coming in with the unknown factor. Uh, I will have some 7,400 Chavez. I like him a lot more than let's say Felice Harrigan 7,200. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's that finishing ability. I'm, I'm with you on there. Then we got Ashley Yoder against Liviana Souza. When I talked to Ashley Yoder, my biggest takeaway from the conversation was she talked about how she's in a mentally in a better place heading this matchup than she's been previously. She didn't really go into much details. I kind of take that as something away from fighting was just kind of constantly on her mind here. Uh, obviously, you know, she is uh, a fighter who has now gone to decision in her last six fights. All of her pro losses have come by decision. Uh, her all of her stoppage wins are by submission. Um, this will be uh, Sousa's first fight since that loss against Van Buren. Uh, three of her last four fights have gone the distance, but eight of her 13 wins via stoppage. Uh, both of Sousa's pro defeats are via decision. Um, you know, this is one of these fights where I, I kind of wonder the fact of, uh, you know, the size of Yoder. Could that create a problem um, for Liliana Sousa in this one? And I do know the over under two and a half rounds is pretty high on this one. It is minus three fifty. Oof. Yeah. So uh, you have Lavinia Souza coming in thirteen and two. Ashley Yoder coming in seven and five. Souza's two and one in the UFC. Yoder's two and four in the UFC. Decent pricing on both of them. I would say that Yoder's not one of my favorite plays at all uh, because even if she does win, she probably doesn't score the best. She tends to look for takedowns in her fights. Uh, when fights are close, she took random Marcos down twice. Um, didn't take Mackenzie Dern down because obviously why would you want to do that? Mackenzie Dern took her down and, uh, even Angela Hill landed a takedown against Ashley Yoder. So that's something to note going up against, uh, Lavinia Souza, who is accomplished judo wise, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu wise, uh, took Sarah Froda down four times. Even Brianna Van Buren, who has excellent wrestling, took her down twice, um, I think Sousa's the A-side in this fight, obviously, at 8,600. Mm-hmm. And I think that she's going to be a little too skilled for the tough Ashley Yoder. It'll probably go to the decision, most likely. But give me Sousa. She has a better finishing rate of 77%. I don't see that happening. But at least she hunts for submissions, averaging a 1.9 submission attempts per 15 minutes. Um her striking is a little troubling, though. If you look at the ratio, 1.79 strikes landed and absorbs 3.45. That's quite a bit. So uh, hopefully she's not behind on the scorecard standing up because maybe Yoder could pull off a uh, sneaky decision win here. Be sure to hit that like button. Let's try to get those likes over 50 before we get out of here in about seven minutes or so. Uh, the first two fights of the fight card to me feel like more like contender series fights. Yeah. That may, that maybe this was something the UFC was targeting for contender series, but because they're trying to fill out the fight card, uh, you know, of course we lost a fight earlier this week uh, of Ankali and, and Kutalaba, which is a fight that I thought was going to be a really fun fight to watch. Yeah. It, it probably wasn't going to last long, but, uh, but we got Chris Dawkins and, and Parker Porter heavyweights, uh, Chris Dawkins, of course, his brother already in, in the UFC comes out of that Philadelphia fight scene. Of course, Parker Porter up there in the Northeast where you're at, uh, you know, I know his management has been trying to get him in the UFC, uh, for a, a couple of, of months now. So, um, you know, this is one where, you know, in terms of, of Chris Dawkins, six and one in his last seven, uh, five of his, uh, six wins via stoppage all in the first or second round, uh, Porter's won back-to-back fights via stoppage and he's four and one in his last five. Yeah, Parker Porter at 8,500 and uh, Dawkins is at 7,700. Uh, this is a heavyweight matchup, and it's a, it's a contender series fight, exactly what you said. And what happens in contender series fights, Jason? Tons of finishes, guys bring it, and uh, 
And whenever you see a UFC card and you see newcomers, typically those are fights to target because it's uh, more action and the nerves play a lot into that. So mistakes happen and early finishes happen. And I think that this is a very interesting spot. You're talking about a heavyweight fight, two guys that like to throw hands. How can you not target this fight? I think uh, one way or another, somebody's getting knocked out or submitted or finished. And um, as far as Porter, Porter has fought a lot of guys. Uh, comes in with 89% finish rate from the likes of Gabriel Gonzaga to some other guys on the regional scene. Um, Doc is coming from Philly. The uh, the competition in Philly is a little bit stronger than, than New England and uh, comes from a great promotion at CFFC. Porter's coming from CES. Um I think if Dawkins takes Porter down, it could be a quick night for him. I'll obviously be rooting for Parker Porter because he's a nice guy and I like his fighting style and I'll be rooting for any guys from New England. Um, but I have to lean Dawkins here at 7,700. He's going to be the bigger guy, three-inch height advantage, uh, two-inch reach advantage. Um, pay attention to the weigh-ins and uh, you know maybe we'll get to see what kind of shape these guys are coming in. But my lean is Dawkins, and I'll have plenty of shares. He's one of my long-shot plays that I actually feel fairly confident in. Like Dodson pulling up this, pulling off this miraculous, you know, this this miraculous upset win over Dalishvili, or a heavyweight fight of Dawkins at 7,700. I think it's an easy pick. Give me Dawkins at 7,700. Uh, opening fight is Kai Kamaka taking on Tony Kelly. Uh, some people may remember Tony Kelly from the MTV show called Caged, which Matt Schnell is a part of. Um, you know, I, I think obviously the concern you have with Tony Kelly, the lack of activity, last fight 14 months ago. Previous to that, 2016, Kamaka has won five in a row, including a uh, win two weeks ago in LFA against Michael Stack. Uh, I, I'm familiar with Michael Stack. Uh, Kamaka's gone uh, dis- uh, decision of six straight fights. Uh, Kamaka is a, a pretty uh, sizable um, favorite here in terms of the DFS lines. Tony Kelly, because of his fighting style, how much he goes for it, I think he is a great punt play at 7,300. And he's a guy, if he wins, I think he scores really well. Yeah, Tony Kelly's a guy I'm circling. And at 7,300, I was waiting for these uh, salaries to come out. When Josh hit us up and told us about the salaries, I was like, ooh, really? Okay. Um you know, Kelly at 7,300, you're talking about a guy who fought Kevin Aguilar in a five-round bout, um, and I thought he won. It was very, very close, and Kevin Aguilar has had a ton of success in the UFC and has looked really, really good doing so, and Kelly, even though he's 5-1, and one, could go severely overlooked based on just his record alone. Watch that fight. See how skilled he is on the feet. Um, you know, has some great footwork kind of like Dominic Cruz, not really, but, uh, you know, moves his head, throws good combinations, does have some good takedowns as well. But uh, that's ultimately how Kevin Aguilar was able to beat him. It was through the takedown route. Kamaka, strong guy, does have some good striking and some decent takedowns. But I think that the movement of Kelly and his, like you mentioned, his finishing ability of 80% uh, is huge in this matchup. Kamaka only has a 14% finish rate and he's seven and two. That's pretty terrible. Give me Kelly. I like him for the upset 7,300. He's a guy long shot play that I'm going to be targeting. We'll get a couple questions in here and we'll give our picks before we get out of here. Uh, Cameron says of Dallas, Gili, O'Malley and Burns, who are you most couple with skipping on? And of those three, would you take the trio or two and one from the main event? First off, I don't know how you put all three of those in the, in a lineup together. Yeah, I was gonna say because when you when you rattle that off, I'm like, okay, how's that possible? Um, what do you think in terms of who might most comfortable in skipping on? Oof. Man, it's Dalishvili or O'Malley. I'd probably say Dodge Feely just because I think O'Malley's got a good chance of getting the stoppage in the first round. But if if, if O'Malley goes assistant decision, Dodge Feely, I'd rather have Dodge Feely. But yeah, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, I would have to agree. I think that I'm going to be a little underweight on Dodge Feely, and hopefully that doesn't hurt me because he does have a very safe floor usually if you can get a hold of guys. Um, 
But Dodson literally is like the Tasmanian devil running around the ring and so much movement and you take him down and he springs back up. So it's a tough matchup. I'll probably be a little underweight on that one. Three cash guys fan duel coming from Ty. Um, cash guys fan duel. I think you got to look at Dawkins supporter. I, I like Dawkins. Um, I will say that Rosenstruck at 17 is interesting. And, um, Give me Burns at 19. I like that. Yeah, I, I, I feel you on that one. There as well. Um, so, yeah. Uh, favorite MVP MVP picks for FanDuel? Mine would be Burns. Um, Burns is a safe one. I think Burns is a safe one. Um, think about strikes early finish the Porter or Dawkins fight is one that could be a sneaky MVP. Um, so maybe Dawkins based on takedown potential as well. Uh, in terms of uh, picks, I'll go down my picks here. Uh, give me DC, Sean O'Malley, Rosenstruck, Burns, Davis, Feely, Pichel, uh, Janaroba, Brown, Souza, Dawkins, Kelly. By the way, these are our straight up picks. This is not, including DFS salaries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Miocic, O'Malley, Rosenstruck, Burns. Mm, Dalashvili, I'll do it. Pichel, Janaroba, Brown, Souza, Dawkins, and Kelly. You know how you struggle with Dotson, Dalashvili? Yeah. I almost said Fleece Herrick. Really? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the layoff. The, the, lay, the layoff, layoff concerns me. Yeah, me too. Not everybody's Dominic Cruz and can come back off of that. Of course, uh, we'll be back on Saturday for a live before a lock. I believe we're going to be on at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time if that changes. Obviously, we'll be putting it out on our social media channels, Osmo's social media channels as well. Of course, he is at Pete the Heat MMA. I am at Jason underscore Foy. That's going to wrap it up for the UFC 2 DFS strategy show right here on Osmo.com. Awesome